Hello. Wow. Sounds very heavenly. Very divine. Well, good morning, everyone. And I uh, just want to do my intro. You might want to turn to Revelation 19. We continue with our Revelation series today. Just want to thank all of you. It's just awesome to hear that wire away. You helped that lady out, helped to get to Gleninus and stuff. And then we've been with the Christian Explain and stuff that's happening with Raji. And I'm sure there's other things that are happening behind the scenes as well. So it's actually really good to be back here with all of you guys. We actually miss you. Uh, when we were away, you kind of really noticed we were on the road last Sunday. So I really noticed not being with you all. Thanks for the music as well. It's always going to be a good day when we get the cello. Thanks, Hannah. And uh, thanks, Ruth, for singing when you're feeling so down, and uh, Barb for playing. It's just been really good. So uh, I might just pray, and then I just wanted to paint a couple of uh, scenarios for you as we get into Revelation 19. Father, I want to thank you for this great word, uh, this great letter, prophecy, compilation of songs that we call Revelation it's, uh, it's been really challenging and confronting, but also so encouraging and truly the words of that, so- that song. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the King. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the King. Lord, that's what I want today for us to see the glory of the coming of the King in Jesus' name. Amen. So... I want to paint a couple of scenarios. These are all true scenarios. They're true for someone right now, probably. They're true for someone in the world right now. I'll start off with one that was personal to us. So we were watching these uh, little doves breed outside our window and they laid eggs and they grew and we watched them grow from these tiny little dovelings. I don't know what a baby dove is, but they continued to grow and we were thinking, wow, this is really cool. And they're in the bushes just outside our window. So every day we could watch those little doves grow. Anyway, one day uh, we went to, uh, went to church and we came home. And what had happened was the currawongs had come in and just gone violent and torn apart these little doves, torn apart the uh, mother, um, just hacked into it. <laughs> And I was just thinking, uh, as I heard the girls, and, and like I haven't heard them cry like that, uh, just this wailing, like a mourning, and I was just thinking, what would be good in this moment? You know, what, what would be good in this moment? And so I just want that image of those black currawongs tearing into those doves just to, just to sit in your mind for a moment, okay? Now, here's another scenario. You're a young child. You get onto a boat with your parents. Your parents have been undergoing... Tremendous persecution, violence, etc., etc. Your one hope is to get on this boat and travel across an ocean. You get on and already it just smells like vomit because people are so sick and they're jammed in there. And across the ocean you go. The days just kind of blur one into another. The ship is tossed to and fro. It's a, it's a really just barely even holding together. Someone's got a GPS up the front that they got from a local store and just navigating across the oceans. And as you get closer, uh, you're off course. The ship is taking water. The ship begins to go down. Parents literally watch their children drown, and then they themselves drown. What, What would be really good in that moment? I know for me, as a rescuer, what would be really good is I jump in my Black Hawk, and I tear across the oceans, and I come to a hover, and down goes that winch cable, down goes my rescue crewman. We're just like, we are, we are busting our gut to save these people. We save as many as we That would be good, but it wouldn't be ultimately good because I, I can't save all of them. And it's out of range from my Black Hawk. And there's all these political things. If I did that, I would be arrested because I'm not allowed to do that. I have to wait for the government to tell me to do that. Uh, another scenario is you as a parent... Uh, you have your family, your children, you live, live a, 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 a subsistence lifestyle, you work off the, the land essentially, and a terrible drought comes through, and you can't, you can't produce food for your children, so you literally watch your children waste away. You literally watch them waste away. You may even get so desperate that while they're still in sort of some semblance of health, you realise you can make money by selling one of them to either a slave trade or to a sex trade. 
And none of us should judge that parent in that moment because that's an awful situation to be in. But I just think to myself, as that little child's taken away or as that child dies and as there's that great kind of injustice and evil, what would be really good in that moment? What would be really good? You know, we read Revelation and I think most of us, if we're honest, are uncomfortable with pretty much most of it. Because you know what? You're not in this situation. You're not in the situation that the early churches were in where they were just in many ways desperate for rescue, desperate for redemption. And so with those three scenarios, we've also got to tie that back to, you know, the church at Ephesus, um, Smyrna, uh, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia and Laodicea. And remember those early Christians who this was actually written to in the first place. And, you know, they lived during the time of probably tight, um, Nero, you know, where his, his favourite pastime was lighting up his gardens with Christians coated in tar, lit up. You know, what, what would be really good in that moment with that tyrant Nero in that superpower gone wrong, using all its state power so this perverted man can get some satisfaction out of watching human beings scream and die in extreme torture. What, like, what, what would be really good? And Revelation 19 starts with some songs, and it's kind of hard to understand those songs if you don't understand what the great need of humanity is, because as Ben pointed out last week, those songs come off the back of Babylon down. The superpower, the representative superpower gone wrong, corrupted with all those evils and things. Um, that represents the trigger and the inspiration for these songs that we often sing and have been embedded in many songs in, uh, in, in Christian history. And so what, what would be really good, I'm going to start in verse 11, and then we're going to come back to these songs. So I want you to think about the death and destruction, as I said, sort of symbolised by those black birds, the small child that suffers, the family that suffers, the injustices in the world. And I could go on and on. I'd just read the news tonight. Um, what, what would be really good? Verse 11. I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and he makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. In this verse here, this out of his mouth comes a sharp sword. So it's, it's, it's like emblematic of the word of God that has been creative, has been sustaining, now goes out in judgment. He strikes down the nations. These are corrupted nations of the superpower that's gone wrong. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has his name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. King of Kings and Lord, Lord of Lords. Now what would be really good in that moment? What would be really good is the white horse rider. What would be really spectacularly dramatically, magnificently good would be the white horse rider. Are you with me? Yeah. Amen. That's why, the, that's why this is so magnificent. I mean, I know many of you aren't in that position of extreme trauma that so many people in the world right now are. And what Revelation has done is it said, if you want to look to where the sources of this corruption are, Look to the excesses of this world power. Look to the excesses of this world power that, 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 that Revelation calls Babylon. Uh, this world power that has the, 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 the beastly images. You know, the, these personalities that are just in, incredibly charismatic, supernaturally uh, charismatic. Uh, they have power. They, have, they can do miracles and things like that. There's some sort of religious element. I mean, human beings are religious people. As recent Pew surveys have shown that religiosity is going up in the world, not going down. More and more people are becoming religious, not less. Mainly because of birth rates. Um, yep, in the Western world, uh, religion, and, and when I'm, talk, I'm talking all the religions, uh, religion is going down. But in the world as a whole, it's going up dramatically. 
And so this world power gets into that deep religious need inside of people and puts out this hope and says, put your hope in me. Put your hope in my charisma as the representative leader, perhaps the representative priest of whoever that might be. We're not really sure. Put your hope in my commerce. Put your hope in my, uh, my technology. Put your hope in my political system. Put your hope in my, my entertainment, my communications, my media. Put your hope in that. And really what we see here in Revelation 19 is either hope, genuine hope sustained, genuine hope fulfilled, or false hope shown for what it is. And so when we get to uh, Revelation 19, false hope has been shown for what it is. True hope in the Lord God Almighty, in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the Lamb, true hope is shown for what it is as well. So let me just read, and we're just going to work through these songs and work through Revelation 19 (laughs) together. But I just want you to keep thinking to yourself, what would be real? Even bring up your own image uh, of injustice, of suffering, of evil, of death, of sin. And just think, yourself, what would be really good in that moment? Look forward maybe to your own death where maybe it's from cancer, maybe it's from old age or, or, or a loved one. What would be really good in that moment? A rescue helicopter can't rescue you. Commerce can't rescue you. The next iPhone 8, I'm sure it'll be great, but it won't rescue you. Even with a Fitbit connected or an Apple iWatch, it won't. All it'll do is monitor your death. Can't save you. So what we see here is uh, the end of time. The, the white horse rider, Revelation 19. And first of all, what we hear is this, this roar in verse 1. The roar of a great multitude in heaven. And this is what they shout. Hallelujah. That is praise Yah. It's, it's actually... Yah, you know, for God, the Hebrew name for God. Praise Yah. Lift him up. And then it says, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, not to the commerce of this world system, not to the governance of this world system, no matter how charismatic, not to the movie stars, to our God, for true and just are his judgment. So everything you've seen so far in Revelation, it might have disturbed you, but it is actually true and just. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. Just think about that for a moment, corrupted the earth. If you look back to verse 24 of Revelation 18, it says that in Babylon, this corrupted superpower gone wrong, was found the blood of the prophets and of the saints and of all who have been killed on the earth. So this superpower is representative of all those who have been unjustly killed, all those that have had their lives cut short. And not only that, you can read back and listen to Ben's sermon from last week to see all the corruptions and the things that went on. Put yourself back into those scenarios. Do you really want that kind of injustice to continue? And we haven't even seen the maturity yet of this full-blown, corrupted superpower. And so the saints of God who have suffered terribly, they're like, hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And you know what I find interesting? I won't say which audio. I listen to a few different audio versions of the Bible now, but they try to get a bit too smart sometimes for their own good. Like, so, you know, oftentimes if it's Paul in a dungeon writing Romans or whatever, uh, you'll hear clink, clink, clink of chains. Well, I don't think he had chains and he wasn't in a dungeon at all. But anyway, um, but in this one, what they do is they, they try to um, bring in the song element of this. And it is a song because it's in prose. Uh, sorry, it's in, it, you can see it's indented to show that it was some sort of song. And what they do is they, they have this weird kind of thing going on in the background, which is kind of like boop, 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 did you do, do, boop, 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 did you do, boop, 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 And it's like, and then you've got this cool African-American voice come in. Hallelujah, salve. And you're thinking, man, that sounds so cool, but also so stupid. <laughs> you have really done well to combine those two elements. I've never seen them combined like that before. So it's still the word of God, right? But what you've got is a boop, 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 dee, doop, boop, boop, boop. I'm thinking, like, what? You, you dive in and just read the previous chapter. There's no boop, boop, dee, doop, boop. There is like drama. 
There is intense conflict. There's like corruption. There's, there's judgment and boop, 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 doo, doo, boop, boop. And I kind of think, you know what? That is so emblematic of our current church culture in our kind of society, in our culture, which is we just take these things so lightly. We always want the light stuff. We want the satire. We want the happy kind of stuff. Well, there's nothing happy about children being sold into a sex, uh, sex trade. No, nothing happy about that. There's nothing happy about an economic system that has plenty in one part. You know, do you know how much of our fruit and veg gets just bulldozed into the ground because of our economic system? And then there's one of the worst crises in Africa at the moment. It, it's, there's nothing happy about that. And God's not happy about that. Thankfully, he has done something about that through uh, our Lord Jesus Christ, but for now, you know, we, we need to take these things serious. So, so for some reason, after I heard that, I had this hankering for well, what, what, what would be an appropriate soundtrack to that? And Rudgy likes to be interactional, so let me be interactional. What do you think would be an appropriate soundtrack out of all the genres of music? Let's go for the musical experts. What do you reckon, Tim? <laughs> you're just buying time. You're buying time. I know what you're doing. So what, what would be an appropriate soundtrack to okay so yeah a little bit of intensity who yep i mean i, I kind of personally like steve jablonski and uh, hans zimmer you know that yep i reckon some people are not going to like this and you can take tasks with me later but heavy metal <coughs> heavy metal right heavy metal good christian uh lyrics uh that praise god heavy metal so I had this hankering for Striper. And stri- I've, for many years, I've been trying to find this battle hymn of the Republic or mine eyes have seen the glory. And I know that it's just kind of seen as a patriotic song in America and it was used by during the Civil War and so forth. But if you read the lyrics, and I'll read them to you later. Actually, no, let me read them to you now. You read the lyrics and then you hear Striper's version of it and you just go, that's good. That's good. Because this is very serious stuff, and heavy metal has always had that kind of intensity about it. Um, and whilst there are many heavy metal songs out there that I would not listen to, and many heavy metal bands that I would not listen to, it's a magnificent, magnificent song. So I'm going to sing it to you. Oh, no, I'm not going to sing it. <laughs> I did have, nearly have a mullet previously. I could anyway. Let me read. You may not have even. I know some of you remember the first verse. They don't often sing the other verses. So, so. This is, this is actually taken from Revelation, okay? Revelation 19. All right, here we go. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He has loosed the fateful lightning of his terrible swift sword and his truth is marching on. And then it says, glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. His truth is marching on. I've seen him in the watchfires of a hundred circling camps. They've built him an altar in the evening dews and the damps. I can read his righteous sentence by the dim and flaring lamps. His day is marching on. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. I've read a fiery gospel writ in burnished rows of steel. As you deal with my condemners, so you with me with grace shall deal. Let the hero born of woman, crush the serpent with his heel, since God is marching. Oh, I love that, but let me read that a bit. Let the hero, born of woman, crush the serpent with his heel, since God is marching on. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. He has sounded forth the trumpet, and it'll never call retreat. He's sifting out the hearts of men before his judgment seat. Oh, be swift, my soul, to answer him. Be jubilant, my feet. Our God is marching on. In the beauty of the lilies, Christ was born across the sea with glory in his bosom. That's an old word for chest that transfigures you and me. As he died to make men holy, let us die to make men free while God is marching on. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. His truth is marching on. And what we see in Revelation is we actually see what I would call the embrace of grace, right? You see the call go out for people to repent, to turn from sin and death, because ultimately, it reminds me of the uh, G.K. Chesterton did once. The London Times put out an article and they said, what is wrong with the world today? And all these people wrote in, you know, politics, 
um, greed, blah, blah, blah. G.K. Chesterton, who was well known, he wrote to many columns. He was a guy that influenced C.S. Lewis in, in a large part uh, to become a Christian. Uh, G.K. Chesterton just wrote a simple reply. Dear editor, the problem with the world today is me. Now, you think about that for a moment. If me, as a person that can be very selfish at times, as a person who can do the wrong thing, no one listening here can say, I've always done the right thing or I've always felt the right thing. We've all felt wrong things. But imagine if I get into power and I do not have the Holy Spirit. It's all going to be about me, isn't it? I'm going to hide it. I'm going to mask it. I may not even know. And ultimately, that is going to cause maybe justice for my friends. I'll look after my friends but injustice for everyone else. And you can do that in your own workplace. You can do that in um, your family. You can have uh, all that, those dynamics going on. But now imagine them politically. That's where this corrupted superpower ultimately comes from. And then we have this enemy, this adversary called Satan, this, you know, this again, a super being who stirs it all up. And all of a sudden you have death and destruction, and cancer and all these other things. But in it all, in it all, there's this enormous uh, emptiness that's created within us. Like even the, the scenarios I gave you before, isn't there something in you that goes, oh yes, like, wouldn't that be so cool if the white horse rider showed up in that moment of desperation? And if he did show up, here is the embrace of grace to say, will you turn away from your foolish hope in your government, in commerce, in stuff, in sexual kind of things. Will you turn away from that and will you turn to me? That's the embrace of grace. And you know where the embrace of grace comes from? If, if these were Jesus' hands, even in heaven, we're told that the, he is the Lamb of God. Interestingly, the Lamb of God in Revelation never says anything. Did you know that? I was reading in a commentary. I didn't observe it myself. But he never says anything. Straight from Isaiah, you know, he's still got that picture of as a sheep um, slain before it, uh, slain before it's, oh, mark this up. As a sh- sorry, go. silent before it's slaughterers. All right, anyway, so it's, he was silent. He didn't, he didn't resist. He didn't uh, try and stand up for himself. It's still got that, he's still got that image in heaven. But now we come to this other image the rider on the white horse. So you've got the embrace of grace saying, turn to me, because Jesus has the marks of crucifixion. He has the marks of being slain for you, for sin. So you would turn away from those things. But now guess what happens in Revelation 19? You know, you know what happens now? It's the biceps of grace. It's the biceps of grace. Sometimes I joke, I didn't make this up myself. I got it from somewhere else. But you know, this bicep shock, this bicep all, right? Shock and all. So... You think about you as, and I've addressed this to the men, maybe they can relate a bit, right? So those biceps that you've got, you often hug your wife, you hug your children, hopefully. It's all right to hug, okay? You hug and you, you show them affection. That is the embrace of grace. But let us imagine that an intruder breaks into your house. You will not be hugging that intruder, will you? Shock and awe come out, hopefully. Shock and awe, you'll do anything you can to defend because you don't know what the evil of that intruder, whatever he intends, you don't want that happening in your house. And so too, God's house, the planet Earth that he created, and he said, man, that's good. That's good. Remember in Genesis, that's good. Uh, he doesn't want the intruder of sin and death and of Satan contaminating, destroying, wrecking, bringing small children to their knees. Um, he will not put up with that forever. The biceps of grace kick in, shock and awe kick in, and we see the rider on the white horse. So all that to say now, I'm going to read through these songs, and I'm just going to make a few comments. Uh, And I just want you to really feel these songs. So after this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power to our God, for true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. That's the, the biceps of grace. And again they shout, hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne. We don't know exactly who these people are or these strange beings are, but they are super powerful. Later on we see John trying to worship an angel. The angel's not even close to the throne. All these entities, beings are 
and they all fall down and worship God. And, and their voices combined with all the angels that surround, all the peoples that surround is like uh, rushing water. And I think that's a great description. If you've been to any big event, like when you watch AFL and the ref makes a bit of a dodgy, dodgy call, everybody yells out, ball, ball. When you've got... You know, even in a smaller crowd, 40,000 people going, ball. And if you've then got like 100,000, say, the MCG, it's deafening. You don't just hear it, you feel it. And it kind of it reverberates. Like it doesn't just, it's not just one sound. It almost has like a flow. It kind of starts in one area and just slow, not slowly, quickly just ball, 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 like all the way around. It's amazing. And then, of course, the people that love their team, when they get a goal, they stand to their feet and they worship. They raise their hands. They worship, they praise. Uh, it's just amazing. And here, it's not 100,000. It's not 100,000 at the MCG. It's way bigger. And it's all because, one, Jesus has died as the lamb, but now Jesus comes back as the rider on the white horse. So they all fall down. Then a voice comes from the throne. We're not sure where that voice comes from, but it says, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both small and great. And then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. So this is worth just a few comments. First of all, it ties into a wedding image. Where else have we seen a wedding image in the Bible? It's not a trick question. What's that? Who? Oh, Cana. Yep. Yeah, exactly. But who used the pattern? No, that's good. Yep. Um, now, oftentimes throughout Scripture, where, uh, there's the image of the wife, the, the kind of holy virgin kind of wife that's seen as God's people. Definitely that. And so we've just had Babylon, the whore, the prostitute, who's just corrupted so many people, caused so much suffering, so much distress. And now you've got this pure white bride. Okay. But where else? Maybe more pointedly. Where do you think John actually gets this image from? Jesus. He said, remember he told a whole bunch of kingdom parables and he wanted to say, Lazarus, kingdom, kingdom of heaven is like this. It's like a wedding feast. And... Uh, the, the master of the house invites a bunch of people. A bunch of people don't come. So he goes out everywhere into the, the roads, the byways, etc., etc., and invites people to come in. Many are called. And then some people come in and they don't have, what, what don't they have on? Wedding. Wedding clothes. The master comes up and says, he actually calls him friend, which is very interesting. Friend, what are you doing here without the right clothes on? And I've always wondered about that. What do the clothes stand for? Well, verse 8, fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Like you, you as a saint, you as a Christian, are not just called to believe, you're called to be and to do. And your being and your doing are all combined. And so when you say you're a Christian, then ultimately there will be some sort of righteous acts where it's helping people, where it's showing you know, true love to your wife in those moments of anger, you know, seeking repentance in those moments continually coming back to Jesus, looking to him, not only to repent, but to actually change. Um, and then seeing that in the workplace, seeing that at the uni, at school, seeing that, of course, in the church. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. And it's interesting because then in verse 9, um, the angel said to me, "Write, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. And at that point, John, he falls down and he worships the angel. John's got a bad habit of worshipping the wrong things in heaven. Remember how Raji showed us he tried to actually worship, or he, not so much worship, but he was, had the same kind of feeling of worship towards the prostitute and Babylon because she looked so beautiful. Many things look beautiful that aren't in this world. Or many things are not as you think they are. Who thinks this is an old Bible? Pretty old, don't you reckon? Binding. Scuffs. You know me, I read my Bible all the time. I hardly read this Bible at all. I bought it a few years ago. It's just shoddily made. But when I first bought it, I won't show you, I don't want to pull people down, but um, when I first bought it, it looked great. Nice, nice leather. It's not real leather, I now realise. Um, and it's all just breaking apart. It, it's, not, it's not what I thought it would be. And same, same, 
here, John thinks this angel was something. No, no. There's only one to be worshipped. He thought Babylon was worth worshipping. No, no, no. Ultimately, she's seen for what she is. But what he says here is he don't do it, the angel in verse 10. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold. Now, I really, you really get this with me, my brothers and sisters, who hold to the testimony of Jesus, who hold to the testimony of Jesus. I'm a fellow servant. So this is a powerful angel that John was going to worship. And he goes, no, no, I'm just a servant with you. I like that. Uh, Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now, prophecy in the Bible, as we've probably heard before, is always, it's generally two things. It's, it's foretelling, talking about what will happen in the future, and it's also uh, foretelling, which is telling you how it is right now, because there are many things that stop us from seeing how things are right now, uh, whether it's biases, cognitive biases, and so forth. And so prophecy often cuts straight through that. That's why we're told the word of God is like a sword, right? And what the angel says here is, is that hold that I'm a a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So I want you to think about this for a moment is before I said, you're not just what you believe, you are also what you do. So if you are holding to the testimony of Jesus, and this goes to the very core of the exhortation that is all the way through Revelation, the exhortation, which I've summarized as don't sell out, don't cave in. We saw that in the first three, uh, sorry, first uh, seven churches or the seven churches of Revelation. Don't sell out, don't cave in. Don't sell out, don't cave in. And what he's saying here is the same thing. Hold on. Hold on. If you're a brother and you want to make it to the final chapter or you're a sister in Christ, you're a brother in Christ, you're going to hold to the testimony of Jesus no matter what. And your brothers and sisters in the past have taken this incredibly seriously. Those people that were burnt like I said, in pitch and tar in Nero's backyard. They were holding to the testimony. All they had to do was just say, uh, Caesar is Lord. And they wouldn't. They said, no, Christos, Kyrios, Jesus Christ is Lord. Think about that. So my call to you is please, as you consider these words, consider are you holding to the testimony of Jesus and will you continue to hold to the testimony of Jesus you've been given so much haven't you oh you've been given the the lamb his blood he's made you one with 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 you he's given you his holy spirit how cool is that he's promised that death will not be the final chapter in your life you will see the white horse rider face to face And the other thing I think to bring out of this is that you are a living prophecy. Do you realize that? If you're holding to the testimony, okay, and we're told the testimony of Jesus is a spirit of prophecy, you, you're walking prophecies. You're walking prophecies. So wherever you go and whatever you say and whatever you do, if it's, if it's in that oneness with Jesus, then guess what? You are living little breathing sermons wherever you go. Maybe it'll be under excruciating pressure of persecution. Maybe it'll just be in the boredom, the banal kind of boredom of everyday life where you just keep following Jesus. You keep following. Maybe it's in, you know, like Ruth was talking about, just so tired. But you just keep following him. You you keep trying to be faithful. And, And in that moment, you become a little breathing prophecy. I love that. And then, of course, in the next few verses, we see the rider on the white horse. I finished off before when I read this section in verse 16, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now I want to finish with the rest of it. Verse 17, I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair. Come together for the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, mighty men of horses and of their riders and the flesh of all people, free Slaves, small and great. Okay, the biceps of grace, shock and all. These people here have become irredeemable. They will not change. They will not bend the knee. And if they remain in their libertarianly free will, they will corrupt and continue to corrupt throughout all time. And enough is enough, says the great king. And he tramps out the vintage of the wine press of the grapes of wrath. His sword, terrible and swift, and isn't it interesting, I remember when I was in Bougainville, I think I've told this story before where we went out to pick up this little baby that had been, um, had a died, unfortunately, 
and we, we didn't have a coffin, so we, got, we made up a little coffin for the little baby. Uh, it was essentially a little shoebox. The baby was not very big at all. And, and we carefully, um, with respect, made sure that the box you know, was, looked good. Um, and we took it to the village. And as soon as we got to the village, the whole village was there. They just rushed out, mourning like tears and stuff, and picked up this little shoebox with the baby inside and carried it away. And I just remember at that time, I just remember Jesus' story. You know when he meets the, the woman whose only son has died on the way to Cana, I think? And, and, he, and he says... And, and, you know, and just all that mourning and stuff going on. And he just, he just walks up to the coffin or the, the pallbearers and just raises that son from the dead. I just remember thinking that. And again, in that moment, what would be good? That, that would be good, right? The white horse rider, just touch that little baby, alive. Um, and then when we were back in uh, Melbourne just this week, we saw, obviously, 20th anniversary of Princess Diana's death. And you know, she did some awesome things, managed to ban, uh, ban landmines around the world, which I think is an amazing achievement. Uh, but they showed pictures of her funeral, the opulence. Uh, you know, people loved her, the, the flowers. Have you seen those images of the flowers up against the gate of the castle? And they're literally chest deep, and they go back for hundreds of metres, where people have just come and piled flowers and flowers. And, and yet in that moment, what is the difference between the little baby in the shoebox and Princess Di in that beautiful, opulent, black and gold uh, coffin. There's nothing. And so too here you see, you know, generals, mighty men, free, slaves, small, great, all those that in their heart of hearts have not taken the free offer of salvation from Jesus, who haven't bent the knee, who haven't said, Lord, Lord, please deal with this in me. Please, please change me. Please, Lord, don't leave me as I am. These people are equalised. And Jesus has given another surprising image about the end of time when he was talking about when the, the coming of the Son of Man will be. That's a name for him, the Son of Man. And he talks about being like lightning from east to west. The sky ripped open. But he also says this surprising thing. He says, um, basically, where the vultures gather, there the carcasses will be. And it's like when you read it in Matthew and it sort of refers to it in Luke, you go, that seems so strange. Now it makes perfect sense because the end state of God's kingdom plan is, is that those that will not turn, those that continue in their stubbornness, those that continue to put their hope in false things, and by doing that, they themselves become more and more evil and affect so many other people. For, uh, where the vultures are there, sorry, where the carcasses are, uh, there the vultures gather. That's, it's going to equalise everything and it's going to be this kind of cleansing kind of thing. Verse 19, now we find out what happens to the political powers of this corrupt super nation. <laughs> I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider on the horse and his army. Now, if you're a movie maker and you're showing people select scenes of an army gathering, a great and massive army, and you're trying to work out a way of choreographing it all so that the audience really gets a sense of how big and magnificent this army is. You know, you might have big panning kind of uh, sweeping shots like you see in Lord of the Rings. Uh, you might then sweep, go to a close-up to see their equipment. You might then um, snap across to their modern technology uh, and you're going to show all this power. Why are you doing that? Because you're building up. It's not yet the scene, but you're building up to this battle scene. So what do you expect to see next? A big, massive battle. What do we see here? No, Matt, no battle. <laughs> no battle. And it's interesting because, again, on my audio Bible, you know what they put in the, in the background of this? like the clinking of swords as if people are fighting. The whole point of Revelation here is that with the sword of his mouth, so think about God in the beginning. In the beginning, let there be light. And, and that, that word causes, triggers, you know, the universe to come into being, time and space come into being. Now the word goes out. It's a judgment word. It's a cleansing word. It's a purging word. And there's no battle Verse 20, the beast was captured and with him the false prophet. Oh, wait a minute, wait, 19, big army gathering. Verse 20, beast captured, false prophet who performed the miraculous signs on his behalf um, and they're thrown alive into the lake of burning sulfur. Done. <laughs> because in many ways, if you think of it from the world's perspective, if they really think, if they really think that their power will ultimately prevail, it won't. It just won't. And this is all about, again, showing the absolute sovereignty of God. 
who with a word created the universe and with a word ends, ends that evil in one fell swoop. The beast is captured and with him the false prophet who performed the miraculous signs on his behalf. With these signs, he deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. And the two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest of them were killed with the sword that came out of the mouth of the rider on the horse and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. Uh, When we were driving home, we saw a lot of dead kangaroos. And that is pretty disgusting when you see what is these finely designed creatures killed by big trucks. You know, limbs are literally torn off. You know, there's entrails hanging out. Heads are at strange angles and so forth. And then guess what comes? The birds. And it's, oh man, it's such a shocking scene to think about humans like that. But all through history, human beings, precious beings made in the image of God have been subjected to that. And it's a terrible, I think it's, it's like the ultimate pride buster because all those people who at times in their life and, and all of us as well, we've been prideful. Um, you know, we think we're so good when we're actually we're not. And then in a moment, you just see your flesh for what it really is. Just subject to the carrion, subject to bacteria, subject to breaking down, subject to death. And, and John doesn't hold back. And I'm so glad that he doesn't hold back here because I think we need to know if this wasn't real and and atheists believe this is real as well in the sense of what happens to our bodies okay Um, if this isn't real then let's not talk about it let's just keep it all fun and happy but but it is real okay you may even see roadkill on the way home and our bodies are like that they're not going to last and so again it will ultimately come down to will you accept the embrace of grace which has the marks of the cross, it has wounds. Jesus has suffered and died. His body was twisted and mutilated in terrible ways. Why would God do that? Why would God even become a man? I can't understand. It'd be like me becoming an ant and trying to speak to ants. I just, I just wouldn't do that. And yet Jesus, he comes as a man. He heals wherever he goes. He has that power to heal. He preaches and he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We can say that with more certainty than ever. Kingdoms started with his, um, his gospel work back then, 2,000 years ago, and he's returning soon. And will we accept that embrace, the embrace of the marked one, of the marred one, the, the damaged one, who now is the white horse rider? And I want you, if you remember nothing out of this sermon, this is what I want you to remember. And I want you to, I want you to go back to any of those traumatic scenes in your life, And I want you to imagine that white horse rider showing up because I believe that in some way, beyond time and space, he's going to make that moment right. A white horse rider moment for every moment of trauma and injustice and wrong. I believe he's going to show up. He's going to to make that right somehow. He's a master of time and space. I don't know how it works exactly, but I do know that he is going to make it right. For, For Ethiopia, for Africa, for Australia, for China. He's going to make things right. He's going to bring justice with the power of grace, with the sovereignty of grace. Like he can do no other if he really loves, as we say and believe that he does. He can do no other. That is what love will drive him to do, to protect and to nurture those that are his own. And anybody can become his. It's so easy. Like, it's so easy. And I don't want you to think, oh, this is something that I have to do. Instead, think like this. What is it that blocks me from really, truly trusting Jesus? What is it? Because there's something in you. There's something in you that is, is contaminating that belief. Belief should just come naturally. In a child, you talk to a child and go, hey, guess what? Later on, we're getting ice cream. They believe you 100%. But it's only as they get older where they've had a few disappointments and so forth. Something comes in and clogs belief. We're always trying to conjure up belief in other people. It should just be, and it is, I believe, with the power of the Holy Spirit, a natural thing. What's unnatural is the contaminants of, I must get my latest iPhone, and I really want that chick over there. And I want to watch what I want to watch right now. And I want that next job. All these things are like contaminants to belief. Now, Jesus is surprised when people don't believe in him. Read for yourself. Do Do some study. And so we don't need to be trying to conjure up belief in people. What we need to be doing is addressing the contaminants, the objections, the blockages. Because the stakes are high. 
and you've got them in yourself. They could at any time manifest like the writer of Hebrews says, see to it that none of you has a sinful and unbelieving heart. Look around, pray. Like, do you pray for the preachers, by the way? Pray for the preachers that preach here. Pray for us. Pray that we will, we will be able to deal with those kind of things that are blocking belief. Pray for each other that we'll have a pure conscience belief because the white horse rider is coming and he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. There are no other kings. There are no other lords that prevail and last. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Hallelujah for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the King. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the King. And glory, glory, hallelujah. Let me pray. Father, it's hard because in this room, um, we, we, don't, we don't see that glory. We've just got to be honest about that. But Father, what, what a magnificent thing that you'd give us words that are able to penetrate dimensions, penetrate time itself, penetrate that which nothing else can penetrate and bring us face to face with the King of glory. And so I pray, Father, that as we think about these things, these tough words, these convicting words that, Lord, just like um, you can see those impurities melt out of silver as it's subjected to heat, as we are subjected to the fire of your word, that we would see those impurities that block our belief, block our trust in the glory of the King, And Lord Jesus, whether we're tired or fatigued or we've just got distractions going on, Lord, as we come to your communion table, please speak to us. Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, deep, deep, deep within our hearts, convict and change. You have said that your word is a fire. It's like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces. So be it. So be it. And Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, Maranatha. O come, Lord Jesus, Maranatha. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. So we approach the table of the king. So so let's not approach just seeing the Lamb of God. Okay? Let's approach seeing the white horse rider, right? Because the white horse rider is just as much Jesus. It's it's another picture of Jesus that we're given for our own benefit. That is just as much who he is as as all those silly little uh, paintings and stuff that you see in modern media and so forth. And any of the Jesus characters that you've seen in any of the Jesus films that are all so smiley and cute and whatever. He is the white horse rider, okay? Um, He has... A name that no one, no one else knows. Um, if, if that was all we knew of Jesus, you wouldn't, you wouldn't even, and, and you really believed that, you wouldn't come to this table, would you? If, you, if that's, that's the white horse rider's table, you'd leave it alone. Yeah, I'll go over here and get some Maccas, or we won't come to his table, because why would I go to his table when he's so powerful and strong? I'd probably like to know him. I'd certainly like to have him on my team. Um, but isn't it, isn't it magnificent that this king, this, con- this conquering king, who just conquers with the word of his mouth, is actually has already set the table, prepared the table, and died for us so that we can come to the table and come into his presence and be his friends. And like I just find that magnificent. You're friends with a white horse rider. <laughs> so when you see him coming, you can go, hey, I know that guy. And I'll actually... I actually believe um, there's going to be such a leap within our souls, such a, a, an uplifting bars, like an elect- electrical current that will go through us when we see him. And we'll, even though we've never seen him, think about it, it's a paradox. Even though we've never seen him, we will um, recognise him in such an intimate way. Oh, I, I, know, I know that guy. I know him. Whew. Now look what happens. <laughs> you know? And... In that moment, you know, those black Karawongs, they're going to be dealt with. And the sin and death issues that I talked about before that affect little children, affect people, white horse rider, going to, going to kick butt, take care of business.
And so it's just funny that Nick, uh, Rick has left his uh, verses here. And thank you, Rick, for compiling all those verses from Revelation. I'm just going to read one of them. And as we lead into communion, think about the white horse rider who says to you, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, who is to come as that white horse rider from the sevenfold spirit before his throne, the Holy Spirit, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father, to him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the King. And I invite you now to come forward to take the cup of the King, to take the bread of the King, to bring it back, to contemplate the King and his glory and to remember that he has died for you and he is worth worshipping and worth remembering in this moment. So keep the cup and we'll drink that together. Father, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, Son of Man, mighty King, ruler, white horse rider, Lord of Lords, creator, defender of the faith, destroyer of evil and injustice. O Lord Jesus, speak deep into our hearts, O Lord. We remember you. We thank you. Thank you for these precious moments here today. We remember your body broken for us, your blood spilt for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So come forward in your own time. Take some time uh, to sit and consider what you're doing. And we've got one more song to sing, which I just think is such a, a wonderful song. Um, it's not Battle Hymn of the Republic. It is Lamb of God. So come forward and partake of the King's table. And then we'll sing, stand and sing this song at the end. <coughs> As we drink, um, we participate in the testimony of Jesus which is also a prophetic thing as we've learnt today. So let's uh, raise our cups and remember and testify to Jesus. And Father, I pray that each one here would not be like the man or the woman who hears your word and goes away and doesn't do what you've asked them to do, which today is to hold to the testimony, to not sell out, to not cave in in whatever way that looks like this week. Because a person like that is like a person who builds their house on the sand and when the rain comes and the flood comes up, that house comes down. Instead, I pray that we at Willowburn and anyone who's listening would be like the one who builds their house on solid rock. They not only hear your word, but they go away and they do it. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be as the blessing of Revelation predicts, that as we have read your word aloud and heard it, that we'll be blessed by it as we do it. So, Father, hear our prayer. Thank you again for this morning, for each one here and those that couldn't be with us today. Lord, bless them as well. In Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>